color of leadership. A seat at the table. Join Dr. Anthony Rice and his more than 20 years of education. Let's talk. Now. Now. This is The Color of Leadership. All right. Hey, hey, hey. I want to welcome our, our uh, audience to another episode to The Color of Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Anthony Rice, here with my co-host, Dr. Angelique Butler. And for everyone new to our audience, this platform has been created so that we have an opportunity to establish critical conversations around the around the globe with extraordinary guests whom are in roles of either superintendents, directors, site administrators, um, teachers, or mentors in their own right. But the goal of this platform will be to exclusively share their own personal journeys and experiences with our audience so that they can navigate the educational and professional system as a person of color. So today, today we have with us a African-American male educator. And you might, you, we don't hear a lot about African-American male educators in our, in our profession a lot. So this man is an author. He currently serves as a role as an athletic director and an assistant principal in Marietta Valley Unified School District. Let's give it up for John Broussard. And Dr. Butler, you, how, how's everything going with you? Everything is going great. Uh, just excited about today. I uh, want to hear a lot about what Mr. Broussard is doing. I hear, I don't know you know you, but I've only um, kind of indirectly been um, introduced or told a little bit about your background by Dr. Rice. And so, um, yeah, just excited. Um, and again, love to hear what you have to say. Awesome. So, Thanks I, for having me, guys. Excited. Yeah, we're, we're grateful, man. We're grateful. We're really grateful to have you. Um, we know that you have a lot of things that are coming, you know, through the pikes right now. You're doing some amazing work. I know you're presenting at conferences and doing things like that, that, that geared around the work that you're doing, specifically that African-American men. So it's important that we get this message out so that we can share your story, share our, our own personal journey. Um, but, you know, we always start with essential questions. And I know uh, this gives us an opportunity to have authentic conversations with you, myself and, and Dr. Butler. And so our first question, we always open up um, with our folks is what was your what has been your professional and pro your personal and professional journey into your current role or your leadership position? For sure. Um, well, I'll just start with, with, with the idea, I think, that, that a lot of us will relate to is that what 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 uh what breaks our heart makes our heart so my journey into education um, um kind of just started with you know adversity i probably grew up in communities very similar to uh a lot of our guests in, in a lot of african-american communities um and then it got to a point where um i realized that i wanted to be able to give back i realized that uh, the pain that i felt also created the purpose that i have so um so that was my journey i started i graduated i I was talking to um, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but who set up the recording? He's from he was from the Northwest. I'm from the Northwest, uh, oh, okay. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, 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 uncanny. But graduated from Linfield, a Christian. Uh, spent a year teaching in Portland. Spent oh. two years in Alaska. Uh, talk about a talk about a journey. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two years in Alaska, uh, coaching and. Uh, teaching up there. I was an athletic director up there as well. Um, and then moved to Temecula, where I spent seven years at a Christian private school. And this is year nine at Marietta Mesa. So uh, it's been a good journey. I've been an administrator, gosh, for the last uh, 12 years, 12 years of education. So it's been good. 
Well, you know, let me let me ask you this, and this is this is very intriguing to me. You say you've been in education for twelve years as an athletic director mm-hmm. and as an assistant principal. So usually, what happens is, you know, that that natural progression, you go from that, and then there ain't a lot of African American male principals out there. So my question to, is, that something that you just didn't want to pursue or can you kind of share with us and share with our audience? Because I know right now you're at an AP or athletic. Are you still wanting to pursue being a principal or moving way, your way up or you're just comfortable where you're at right now? Well, <laughs> I'm an assistant principal right now. And I was, I was voluntold that I was going to be an assistant principal. Uh, when I was a, a when I was an a, a, a athletic director and assistant principal at Linfield Christian, it was a great experience. Um, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you really have to live in your purpose and in your calling. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's tied to really enjoying and appreciating what you're doing every single day. And I've been fortunate enough to say I've never really taken on a responsibility or oversight that I haven't been passionate about. Um, being an athlete, we understand that the, the obsession, um, the drive, uh, the competition that goes into what you do every single day. And, I think very few people, given any profession, can really say that they show up with with those same attributes, right? I'm still passionate. I'm still excited to do what I do every day. Um, Athletics has been that for me. Working with young people in the lane and the space that I have has been that for me. So um, right around COVID, um, uh, the district, they felt the need to to, – Volunteer the athletic directors. These guys going to be assistant principals mm-hmm. as well. Uh, we need a little additional support. So although mm-hmm. your main oversight will be athletics, um, there's some other areas in which we can use you. Now, previous to that, um, I, I was offered a few different uh, uh, principal roles, um, and at the time, I, I, I declined. And thank you, you know, thank God I, I wasn't voluntold because we know how at you know education is. Um, but, uh, but I turned it down, uh, simply for the fact that I really do enjoy what I'm doing. Um, the impact that I'm having, I'm appreciating it, but also, and I know that we're going to kind of segue and talk about it, um, later. Uh, I'm also an entrepreneur. I, I have my own publishing company. I, I do, uh, whether it's curriculums, I'm an author, um, I do workshops. I do a lot of stuff. So if I took on a, another role, whether it's principalship and things like that, I don't want it to take away um, the, the the multifaceted things that I'm really into. And I think this is your 24 me in education. At this stage of my career, I know more than ever. Like um, it seems like every season that you're in only prepares you for the next season. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's clear now that just the advocacy and the voice and the stage and the space um, that I find myself in, I know that's the target. And mm-hmm. I don't want to, uh, 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 listen, for, segue. I'm going to mention God a lot. I'm not advocating God. That's just me. All right. So I'm right. Gonna, no, 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 you, I'm you good go. with that. I'm so good I'm, with so that. I'm going pre- to preface that, you know. I'm okay. good with that. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to speak for God and say, hey, he's not going to put me in another position. But I know clearly um, the work that he's calling me to do. And I want to be intentional about doing that work, because one thing that I learned um, a few years ago is that every single time you say yes to something, that's great. And I think as educators, like we live in a space where you want to be able to say yes and help out. I'll do that. Yeah, that sounds great. Let me do it. But every Mm -hmm. single time you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And it could be your purpose and it could be your family and it could be us an assignment that you really are really being called to. And so as you're saying, yes, you're also neglecting uh, your destiny. I want to be careful not to do that. Oh, that's that's real interesting. I mean, you you mentioned a lot. I mean, <laughs> a lot. I'm going to I'm going to say one thing I heard you say you mentioned intentional. And, you know, a lot of times it can either go one of two ways. Either it takes you forever to get there. Ultimately, if that's your goal to be a principal, or sometimes they'll fast track you depending upon their need. And so that's real cool that you decided that at that time it wasn't for you, that it was going to take away from some other things that were your purpose. And you um, you're very clear about that, because as you as you and I you know both know, there'll be time for that. And as you, I'll go ahead and you know mention what you mentioned, God, you know, he has a purpose. And sometimes, you know, we need to listen to that. We need to listen to that. Uh, outer voice. Sometimes it's our inner voice that tells us, no, I, I, I feel better. I know that I can impact students just as much as I would if I were a principal. And sometimes, you know, Dr. Rice, I'm sure you know that the the, the enormous time and hours that you yeah. spend um, as a comprehensive high school principal or middle school principal. So um, that's very, that's, 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 I think it's, it's very cool that you decided that, no, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit back. I'm going to yeah. wait a little bit. Um, I want to ask you going to go. I'm going to talk or ask you another question has to do with because the Alaska thing just caught me. You know, and <laughs> I, how did you, I'm, I'm going to go off a little bit. How did you end up going from Oregon Alaska. to Alaska? And there must yeah. not have been. I'm, I'm assuming that there weren't too many people of color there. Uh, yeah. American males. Can you just, yeah. just answer that for me? I'm just yeah, curious. Yeah, yeah, 100% accurate. So. When I graduated in 03, I spent one year teaching in, um, in Portland, Oregon. But a teammate that I had um, when I was in college was from mm-hmm. Alaska. Got it. And uh, he was like, hey, um, once you graduate, if you ever wanted to, you can come to Alaska and they will double your salary from anything in the lower 48 is what they call it, the lower 48. They'll double your salary and they'll pay for all your living expenses. Now, listen. Oh, yeah. Communities at home <laughs> y'all grew up in. <laughs> right. But the, but, but, the, but the homes that I grew up in, opportunities and you take yeah. birthday, um mm-hmm. when they're presented to you. So, right. Uh, so, and, and I don't need much, honestly, to live. And I was in like, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't Anchorage or it wasn't Fairbook uh, or Fairbanks. I was in Kotlik, Alaska, which is a remote village. They call it Bush, Alaska, tundra, oh. no roads. Um, they, they travel by boat in the spring. Uh, they travel by snowmobiles in the winter, wow. and I was coaching. We were, we were flying, and they had these little propeller planes um, that seats maybe eight people, and, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll fly them in the winter and the storms and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny, so I was coaching basketball at the time, and we would mm-hmm. really like pile in these little, you know, planes or snowmobile, and we'll go from village to village to compete and doing different things. But it did allow me to um mm-hmm. save money because uh, I knew I, I wanted to come to California I was born in California right uh, so I knew I wanted to come here so it, it allowed my finances to be right come down and uh-huh. really get a strong foundation and it was around 09 when I moved here and if we remember the housing crisis at that time mm-hmm. yeah it was great it was great it all kind of worked out and you know I've been here ever since yeah that's amazing Perfect. Yeah, I, I just had to ask it I had to ask it but you know again we don't often get the opportunity to go you know, somewhere else other than home, 
Yeah. Um, we need to see sometimes those opportunities too, and I'm sure it helped you grow as a person. So yeah. I grew as a yeah, it, it taught me so much because they survive off subsistence subsistence living. There's no um, there's no stores really. Well, the stores they have is like you can come get this fish bait and make that happen. You can come get some oh. flour to kind of bake something. And they were berry picking, they were hunting, um, and wow. that, it was Yupik Indians, and that's how they survived. But what's interesting, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but I was a young educator at the time, is that like when we talk about culturally relevant um, curriculum, mm -hmm. uh, I, I spent both of those years working with University of Fairbanks, Alaska, um, creating culturally re uh, relevant curriculum uh, for the Yupik Indians because... I, and I, I hate to put it this way, but school wasn't necessarily viewed as a necessity because you mm -hmm. have these families, they're hunting. Like, what do I need mm -hmm. trig trigonometry for? What do I need? Right. Yeah. Um, because their real life was survival. And yeah. we're not going anywhere. We're going to be mm -hmm. right here in this village and mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna survive off the land and things like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the class, like we were doing things that are rulers there. They had like the measuring of, of, of a palm and just all these different ways of thinking. So uh, when you come back and we just think about um, uh, whether it's the African-American community and culture or any culture, right. mm -hmm. um, it really opened my eyes when I came back to this level of education about how important and how vital it is to create culturally yeah. relevant curriculums for our young people and and not just the young people for the parents as well yeah right. um, things like right. that so that was a segue but but that was no that's good. That's i asked it i i asked it because i'm sorry yeah because it is i mean you know i'm sure like you, you mentioned you know culturally relevant we know how important it is right um and we talk to parents all the time and students all the time that they ask those questions well how, you know what do i need trig for what do i need this for what do i need that for and so it's it because I am just trying to, I mean, whatever my goal is, you know, that assuming you thinking you maybe like you might play basketball or you might play yeah. football, whatever the goal is that, that this at the time, I'm not seeing the relevance of the, you know, why we're doing this. But also, too, as I said, you know, as you mentioned, um, creating the culturally relevant uh, you know, curriculum and, and trying to get to um, that level of, you know, why education is imperative, especially, you know, for us. Yeah. But I have a, a, the next question I want to ask um, in terms of, you know, barriers and challenges, hmm. you know, um, sometimes, you know, we've had guests on where it seemed like, you know, they, it, they, it was pretty easy for them. Um, and then other times there's been, it's been a struggle. And hmm. so I want to ask, you know, what barriers or, or challenges, if any, um, or, or, or can you see if it's not you personally or something that you know what happens um, for our, our, our people of color in terms of getting to where you've gotten uh, in your current leadership position? Honestly, I'm, um, it's interesting is that like my experience in my journey is very foreign um, um, in regards to barriers and challenges. Uh, A, because I'm African-American male, but just, 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 just my plot in life and the way cars, the cards were dealt. Um, you know, I was uh, I was born in what what society would call in, in, in communal style living or a cult, yeah. if you will. And so um, so I went from that situation to like watching sibling, my, my sister get murdered in me right in front of my face, uh, went to foster care. I failed every test imaginable um, mm -hmm. um, through K-12. I was in all the the, the, uh, the the different extension classes and things like that to get extra remedial help. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, and it's very similar to college as well. So I think my whole life is almost like struggle and challenge, you know, but I think the mm-hmm. beautiful part about that is that um, it allowed me to uh, uh, persevere. It allowed mm-hmm. me to understand the grace and the understand. Like, I think that because I'm aware, of, I'm well aware of the stats, right? There's right. 3% of African um, um, or even just people of color are administrators yeah. in school, 3%. Yeah. Uh, over 50 to 60 percent of young people who have been in foster care graduate uh, uh, graduate college. Right. The stats mm-hmm. in regards mm-hmm. to um, those who spend time in foster care, what it is in regards to them being homeless or in jail. So mm-hmm. I'm well aware. Of, and, we're, and we're talking about like talk about your adversity of being an administrator. Like, <laughs> my, my journey is like yeah. completely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. In the stream mm-hmm. of all of it. I can mm-hmm. uh, I can speak to it on so many different levels. Yes, you can. Um, but then also when it comes to just being an African-American administrator, what's interesting is um, I didn't necessarily like I wasn't I didn't intend like it wasn't intentional on me um, uh, walking down this path. I knew that uh, just because of what I've been through, like I've experienced every single emotion, um, the highs and the lows that I think a young person could face all of them. I've experienced all of them. And so as a result of that, it's almost like I call like um I like to call myself I was a patient now I'm a practitioner of yeah. the work that I do I spent mm. 20 years as a patient of like some of the most um, adverse situations mm-hmm. and now spent the last 20 years mm-hmm. uh, being a practitioner and giving back mm-hmm. and understanding what young people go through so you know I think that I think you know at this point I didn't intend they asked me to be I was at Linfield uh, Christian uh, it was around 0809 when I moved out here. And they were going through different situations that, hey, will you be, it was my like second year there. And they were like, hey, will you be um, a dean of students and the athletic director? And I was 30 years old. Right. And, uh, and then I quickly moved over to assistant principal at that time. I think I was 33, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, when I came over to Marriott Unified School District to be assistant principal. So um, I, w- I think it was purposed for me, honestly, because mm-hmm. there's nothing that I necessarily sought out. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm I'm just grateful to be in the position that I am. But when you talk about walking in the rooms, when you talk about and and, and maybe it's self-imposed, I'm curious what you guys' perspective is on this. But um, um every room we walk in, we are the minority, not just because the color of our skin, but just the sheer number, the sheer statistics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I'm gonna piggyback on that, John, because I remember. I mean, this is probably about a week ago, and I think we were in that same. Um, um, I think we were at a, a conference. Yeah, she talking uh, because I was about to bring yeah, that up. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we we were at a small conference, and, and I don't know what it is, but every time like we, I go into a space, and I all I always is my my intention is to always look around to see who's in the room, right? right? And so as I as we were in the space, I noticed I think it was like only f- four of us out of like three hundred. Okay, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> you say time out. <laughs> but right, so here's why I said self-imposed. Because yeah. the fact that you had to count, and and yes. you did, because yes. I I literally counted the room. Yes. Why do we have to do that versus our counterparts? I guarantee you it right. was nowhere in there, right? In the comments, yeah. like, let me count how many people that out that look like me or right. right? Yeah. So that's so unfortunately, you know, that is inequity. In and of yeah. itself, but the fact right. that we have to walk into a room uh, and count out in ways in which we look, uh, feel comfortable and, and, and be familiar, that's an issue, you know, in and of itself. 
Yeah. Right. And, I mean, and here it is. You say you have to count that you can count. Like, oh, there's one, there's two, there's right. three, there's four, right? right? Yeah. So we're always in those positions where we right. can't count, right. um, which is, you know, we, we look at it for our students, Yeah. right? Our parents that are always, most of the time, in a space yeah. where there is not someone who looks like them and obviously don't have the same experiences, yeah. you know, as we do. And so it can be difficult. It really can be difficult. And then, of course, whatever space you're in, you find yourself, you know, making sure that you're, 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 how can I say that you're modeling, but you're not representative of everybody, every African-American man or every, you know, everybody could be, have a different story yeah. as I do, you know, and you got to treat us as individuals and not as a group. But of course, you know, it's in the back of your mind that whatever comes out of your mouth, yeah, you know what I mean, is on display. Oh, and I'm going to use the word display is because really that's that's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you tend to or people tend to make have you speak for everyone else, mm-hmm. every other African-American male that's there. Right. And so um, and then, of course, you know, knowing when and where and how um, to navigate the space. You know, that was the question, yeah. you know, like, how do you navigate that space? And, and And oftentimes it is that it's just it's just putting yourself in a position where. You're speaking um, in a way in such that you're you're being heard and not shut out. And and just right? to piggyback on that, yeah, I'm gonna piggyback on that. And just like and even at that same conference, right? And as we're there, and we're just kind of and you, you know because they have speakers and they have people who are you know who are kind of sharing things in terms of from a coaching perspective. And you're sitting there, and a lot of times when we're sitting there, it doesn't even pertain to any of our experiences. Right. You know what I mean? Because we have different experiences, right? Yeah. right? And so mm-hmm. it's it's in our ours, and it's it's tough because a lot of times that the students that they're that they're servicing are students that look like us, right? And I think that's why coaching is very like I mean, it, coaching to me is something that I'm passionate about because we deal mm-hmm. with the majority of students that that look like us most of the time, and we can kind of share our experiences and kind of help them navigate a system that's mm-hmm. not necessarily there to kind of help and guide them and we and, and I think that's why we fall into these positions because they see us as coaches a lot of the times and then not only as coaches then we end up being disciplinarians right we end up being that disciplinarian we end up being that person who can relate to that student group right, right. and they need us right they need us at that point so right I, yeah I get it I just yeah. you know we all share that same similar story you know what I mean mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's just one of those things where we just have to you know, be very, it's, it's a blessing that we we're in these seats. For sure. Well, and what's I've, interesting too ahead. is that um, what you were mentioning Angelique about um, we have to show up and we have to represent a, mm-hmm. a, a majority. We have to, we have to represent a group versus just represent ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that um, growing up in Oregon, what I did not appreciate and kind of why mm-hmm. I wanted to move back to California was that, individuals weren't allowed to be individuals mm-hmm. um you know who you were as an individual was an extension of the group that they wanted to put right. you with for better or worse right because mm-hmm. um, at least at the time i haven't been back to oregon in 20 years but um the color of your skin or where you grew up that's who you were associated with mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily like you know mm-hmm. uh, what attributes uh you favored right being right. an american male at that time it's okay. You're going to, you know, play these sports, listen to this music, you're going to behave this way. 
And um, and I remember I grew up in the inner city and then I moved to the suburbs due to gang violence and things of that nature. So um, even in, in being a basketball player, even my white friends were um, expected to act and behave a certain way. Right. Um, and, and if they did not, if they enjoyed music that I enjoyed, then they were also categorized as being, you know, whatever. And we know what that, right. what that yeah. looks like. So that's very unfortunate when the reality is that we really should value and appreciate people for who they are. And people, um, they navigate towards um, um, spaces that, that speaks to who they are, their passions and things like that. So if you're on a basketball team, chances are your vocabulary is going to be the same. Your interest is going to be the same. Uh, your, your music is going to be the same and, and which is fine. And I, I noticed right away that California and different communities was that way. Um, so it's unfortunate that, you know, we were talking earlier that number one, the room was small and mm -hmm. then number two, because, um, there's not a lot of us, it does come with the idea of, wow, everything I say or don't say, uh, how I perform mm -hmm. at my job today is going to mm -hmm. be representative of this whole group. And that's unfair for us because, we, so, you know, obviously we already know just within our own African-American communities, some move left and some move right, you know, um, but human nature and the way it is, when you talk about Jackie Robinson, when Jackie came to MLB, he represented a nation of African-Americans, period, point yeah. blank. And, yeah. and, and the nation was like, what are they going to, not Jackie, what are they going to do with this situation? How can they handle mm -hmm. this, right? Mm -hmm. And so to a degree, when you say we represent 3% of, uh, of, of administrators in our country, um, it's almost human nature that the perspective will be the same. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, yeah. and like you mentioned, like, the, and we'll, we, you know, we talk about uh, looking at people as the individual, right? Because Because all of us, like the deep, deep funds of knowledge that we all bring, you know what I'm saying? And it, and it's, it's sometimes again, it can be overlooked if you're looking at a group and not the person yeah. and not the person, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's unfortunate, but you know, you, you mentioned a blessing for me, sometimes it's a blessing and a curse. And the reason why I say a blessing and a curse is because you both mentioned it, you know, and Dr. Rice, you mentioned that you become the disciplinarian, you become the voice of all African American or for the African American students or parents or whatever. But what we want is we want others who don't look like them to be able to identify too, and not us being the person, right? So, mm -hmm. for instance, they send, you know, I, and I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming because this happens, they send black people to black people to fix the problem, right? Um, when it's all of our issue, whether it's a school, you know, if it's a school issue, it's all of our issue. And we have to, we want to also force, I'm going to use the word force, others to um, see us as individuals and learn too. I mean, how do we teach, how do we, how do we promote equity when you were the only one, you know, and I mean, that's waving the equity stick, you know, and I'm saying, say, hey, you know, and, and that is the struggle of why I say a blessing and a curse. Yeah, you, you love to be able to um, be that person to help students who look like you, but you also feel like, gosh, am I the only one here that sees this or can help identify with what's happening with this student or this parent? And so that's the part that I often struggle with. Um, and I'm sure the two of you do the same. You know what I mean? You just you just want that to be an issue where we're all working to look at students as individual and making sure how yeah. big or small the, the identifying group is that they get the help that they need. Yeah.
right? So, yeah, that makes sense. So I, I do want to segue into this question real quick. Mm -hmm. I, and I, I'm, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I know somebody, especially, I mean, I know people who write books, but not like this, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know he's, a, I mean, John, you've accomplished a lot in terms of certain things that we don't even assume that we can even do, but you've, you're doing it. And so you're an esteemed author. Um, I mean, so talk to us about your book and the title and why you chose that title and kind of talk to us about the contents of the book and what, what made you decide to say, I, you know, I want to publish something because I know legacy wise, mm -hmm. that's your legacy. So yeah. just kind of talk about, just kind of talk about that and kind of yeah. give our audience an understanding of why you chose the, uh, the, that book. Right. For sure. So uh, it's, 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 it's complex, honestly. And I didn't start <laughs> out to be an author, um, but I think right around, okay. So actually it was year 10, it was year 10 at Mesa. And uh, I threw this big celebration for the community. The mayor was there, it was a football game. It was like a, all, we, the game was on Saturday. It was a big party for the community. And um, uh, so this must be like year 17 for me uh, as an educator. And I'm sitting at the top of the football stadium and uh, I'm like, there's thousands of people down there. And I've just threw this big event, like raised tons of money to have the event. And I'm sitting at the top and I'm like, man, how improbable is this? Like people down there, as they celebrate their stories, as they're, as they're uh, celebrating their legacy, um, uh, uh, 10 years in Mesa and all these amazing things. I'm sitting at the top and I'm like, man, I'm a, I'm a foster child, right? Like I've, I've, uh, pull my I pull myself up from the bootstraps you know yeah. with the blessings of others and God and <clears throat> I, I know the space that I'm in right because um we just spent the last 20 minutes talking about the small percentage of people yeah right so at the same time as we talk about the need for more we can also pause and say man like that's yeah. an honor right so I'm mm -hmm. sitting there and things that I've done up, up until this point I'm like oh this is amazing and then I'm like but I'm 37 and I'm competitive. Person. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I'm 37. Am I going to do this again? I might just go hit repeat. Yeah. I'm not a repeat person. Yeah. God, what's next? And I'm going to tell yeah. you, this, don't ever ask God what next. Cause he, <laughs> uh, so, so I'm like, man, what's next. And then honestly, like there's very few times where I felt like I heard the voice of God is very mute. And I was like, man, what's next in my life? And like this, once I thought that thought like this, I heard, oh, I brought you here to take you there. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't, I, and I didn't even really necessarily know where there was. Now, <clears throat> you fast forward three years and so many stories that kind of go up into this moment of uh, being an author and open up a publishing company. But I then understood that when I used the word, um, uh, I went from patient to practitioner um, I, yeah, I think it's true. I think it's true that regardless of, we can just look at humanity and, and when people do great things, like whatever season in trauma and storms and adversity we face, like the people who go through those things, those are the same people that end up advocates to champion those yes. that are behind there so they can pull with. Right. Yeah. And so once I asked that question, I was doing it like <clears throat> I was trying to be a voice, um, from a relationship standpoint, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, coaching, doing this, whatever, and then um then since I asked that question, it kind of evolved of like, no, like you've been in hiding um forever, right? Like as 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 transparent and open and I'm being now for 37 years, I wasn't transparent at all, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh and I had to realize that 
the way that I'm living life now comes with a, re a responsibility and almost like um, um, it's almost like my duty of like, nah, like mm -hmm. look, look how great my life is. Like I have a responsibility to make sure I pay it forward in any way possible. So once I start understanding that, I'm like, all right, well, you know, let me start writing a book. And through that process, it was it was getting up in the morning because people were like, how do you write a book? Like you know, I kind of <laughs> enjoyed writing and started with poetry. And I thought I was going to do either a, po a poetry book or I thought I was going to do a kid's book because um, um, I started an education as a K, uh, uh, K-8 uh, certification and things like that. But God was like, nah, it's going to be uh, letters from an educator, the child you didn't see. And it's the heart of empathy. People like to wow. use Maslow. People like to use um SEL or all these red flag words of like here's where education is right now but when you strip all those words down to the core yeah. we're talking about him uh, we're talking about empathy and I like to say that you know I'm the heart and soul of education and it's all about compassion it's all about mm -hmm. connecting with young people um it's all about remembering the places we've been Mm -hmm. And if we're if we remember the places and emotions that we've been, then it allows us to really connect and make a difference, not only on young uh, young people, but just our colleagues or uh, uh, it, it allows them to change you know, school culture in a degree. So so I did that book. It's been great. Uh, it, it's Repeat not, the title. Uh, yeah, the title is Letters from an Educator, the Child You Didn't See. Oh, and wow. It's, 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 so it's very introspective. I'm just trying to see huh? it. I'm not, do, uh -oh. you guys, do you guys remember that? Yeah, remember, yeah, letters remember, remember. from an educator. No, that's the, what's that, the P, what's that, the P, P the folders. The P folders, yeah, the P folders. Yes, yes, yes. Back in the, he went back, yes. So, so, so I, that I, good, good recall, good yeah, recall, so, right? So I, I did that intentionally because if we remember the PT folder, it was a self-introspective journey in regard, like, this is me, this is a reflection of yeah. me. And whatever goes in there is is your fingerprint in a way so um so it's a collection of stories i like that and i and i, go I know through, i go through this journey of like um every young person that i face in order to meet them where they're at in order to mm -hmm. help them through the season that they're facing right mm -hmm. now it forced me to reach back and be vulnerable and be transparent and say ah oh, i remember that like let me tell you what happened to me and so it's a collection of stories that some will absolutely break your heart. And then others are mm -hmm. like dealing with an athlete and you'll champion uh, uh, that situation a moment with them. So that was number one. And then book number two is coming out in about a month. So that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking wow, about. Wow, that's deep. Yeah, that's what I I'm mean, because about. I mean, like you say, some will break your heart, but it, it is so true. You know what I mean? Like every child needs to be seen, right? Yeah. You know, you, you it, it does. It breaks your heart for the the, the kid who's, underrepresented or the foster kid or this kid that may have an IEP that struggles in school or, or or hasn't learned to read and they got reading issues and so therefore you know they kind of they kind of get small right mm -hmm. or they tend to um, go into something else like athletics because yep. that's the way we get we can get our accolades but yep. that's deep I mm -hmm. love the title I yep. absolutely yeah. love the title and then in the second book it starts off uh and it, I, I don't, it's not printed yet, or I would show you guys, but it's, it looks very similar. And the title is A Diary of a Poet. And really, Ooh. and really, it's a follow up, right? So if if, if, if the first book mm -hmm. uh, is a chapter book and it's very in depth and it goes through his research, given all that kind of stuff, and it just talks about the idea of connection. Um, and then the poetry book is the first book in poetry form. Oh, wow. um, so all the stories, all the meanings, you know, we deal with Black Lives Matter. We deal with mm -hmm. we deal with 
Um, we deal with the African American uh, stigma of not being transparent, especially in vulnerable and weak, especially African American men. So mm-hmm. there's poems in there about that. In fact, that the the lead off poem is about that. It's also called Diary of a Poet, but it's just it's the idea that we don't talk at all. Right. Right. So, no, you're right. Yeah, Man, that's I, deep. I, uh, there's too many. There's too many, like you say, African American males that feel like if something hits your heart, then it's a sign of weakness. For sure. If 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 you if you if you become vulnerable, then that allows other people to come in and attack. Yep. You know what I mean? Sure. So yeah, you yeah, wear yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh-huh, you which, wear this armor. Which, yeah. which is an oxy, right? Is, which is an oxymoron. Um, I spoke with. Uh, we had a conference the other day, and I was speaking with someone. They're like, "Oh yeah, I I, I want to work or I want to do this." I'm like, and I'm telling him, like, "Yeah, we should we should network. We should do this." And he was looking at me like I was a foreign object. Like, mm-hmm. nah, because most people go for self, or most people stay quiet. Like, why would you be so open? And right. so that's why it was it was really and it's scary like the the this the book one book one was scary this poetry mm-hmm. book is scary but it got mm-hmm. to the point where it's like I can't live my life scared like what's scarier than writing this book is getting to my deathbed and saying man there was some assignments inside of me and I never completed them and so that so I, in in order to not be that I had right. to find the bravery to write this one so so yeah I mean vulnerability is strength. Yep. So before you ask ask that next question, this is what I, I gotta ask John. So John, we and you just got my mind going right now because there aren't <laughs> there aren't a lot of mentoring programs yeah. out there for us. Right. And so in my book, that's what we're talking about in my book as well, is like the mentoring programs. And when, as I was writing and I'm thinking to myself, there aren't many. I know there are a lot down east where they try to do that work, like in Philadelphia and mm-hmm. and Kansas and things like that. But you know, in terms of in California, there aren't a lot of mentoring programs. And the thing of it is that since we're doing a lot of this work, you know what I mean, in terms of just this work, in terms of that cultural relevancy work, I think, and that's something we're gonna table after you ask this <laughs> next question because I think we need to get together, man, and really provide some con- con- some content. Yeah. To... Well, let, let me do this. Let me, let me, because m- most of my poems are spoken word. Let me share the opening one. Please. Uh, I'll do that right now because it speaks to like the last five minutes of our conversation um, is the lead off poem. And it speaks to that um, um, right on, right on mark. So it's called Diary of a Poet. All yeah, right? go again. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Every time I write, I feel God in me. And I'm not trying to sell you God. I'm trying to stop envy. I'm trying to stop hatred. I'm trying to process what I feel y'all and still make it because to expose what I feel would be anti what society described as that guy so macho I don't feel anything you know that guy so I get lost in my own thoughts my soul take its own walks if life has taught me anything is that we all have our own cross outlined in its own chalk I'm fine it's just self-talk I'm lying it's real talk I act tough but I feel soft. I write when I feel lost. I find it's the only way to save face, to keep shining, but save space. There's so much I don't show. You just see the outer ring. My words are a telescope revealing my inner being. My poems are spaceships and you are an astronaut. This new space, I welcome you. Your face mask, I welcome not. Every emotion here is authentic. Nothing fake or augmented. Just the naked truth with no shame, like God meant it. 
That wow. was dope. That was deep. That, oh, man. That, look, and that is a first, right, Dr. Rice? That is it. That You have... Uh, inspired us. Yeah. I gotta give, I gotta give them that. You gotta, gotta give them the that. thumbs up, the snaps, whatever that. it is, drop the oh, like. Wow. The reason why <laughs> that, I wanted to because that's what we we're talking about. And that's the right what, what led me want to say it because we do live in a society, and more than anyone, mm -hmm. we live in a society where African American men, like you were just talking about, uh Anthony, is that we don't do this. Mm -hmm. It's and, and it's unfortunate that um the subconscious intentionally or, or 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 unintentionally like you know be tough be strong right, it's, right. It's all about yeah. everywhere you go and it's not the reality like there's a lot of vulnerability there's a lot of like insecurity that goes into even getting into our position right mm -hmm. I mentioned, um i mentioned um jackie robinson earlier like can you imagine the level of insecurity and fear he felt being the first african-american in those times civil rights times and had to do that I have a poem to young people um, about Ruby Bridges, right? The first African-American girl. Can you imagine the fear? And yet we live in a society where people don't want to authentically have those conversations. Um, and that's why the poem ends with like, um, 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 however it goes, like uh, being naked the way God intended, right? Right. Everything I'm giving you, which is, is, is uh, an analogy, but it really is a reference to Genesis where Adam and Eve was like, hey, we're naked. And God was like, wait, hold, who told you you're naked? Yeah. So it's an analogy of that, but it's really saying that, um, I can't tell you how I feel because I'm not supposed to. Wait, who told you you're not supposed to <laughs> emotionally feel naked with one another? Yeah. You know? So that that whole poem kind of talks about that topic and the poetry book um, authors that and it gives a space for everyone to say, all right, well, let me tell you how I feel. Yeah, uh, so. that's, that's deep. Yeah. And so- just listening to you and your story and your background, I mean, Murrieta has a diamond. Um, and I, I, I always, I, I've told Dr. Rice this before, like African-American males, like you guys are a commodity. You are a commodity, you're a true commodity, and we need so many more like you. Um, do you have any advice for, you know, how can districts, and, and, and if that's the, their their goal, how do they, how do you attract more male, African-American males to districts, do you think, or even maintain the ones that they have? I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I think that it's, um, I think they want to meet the standard, first of all, and they have to be bold. I, I had a principal at Mesa who was phenomenal, and I think he, he, um, he was one of few that, that wanted to find and understand and appreciate diversity, whether it's African-American oh, cool men or whatever but like honestly like you know we're all african-americans and i can i can honestly say if i see another african-american administrator chances are i'm gonna feel more comfortable comfortable you know, I'm, let's let's change the conversation from from color and let's talk about sports if i walk into a gym and it's all basketball players i play basketball the language the understanding the vocabulary yeah. i'm gonna gravitate towards them the, the conversation is going to be like what's up like and, right. and versus if I had to go to um, golf, water polo, football, I didn't really play those sports. And so um, as, it's human nature to go to mm -hmm. you know, and gravitate towards what you're comfortable, most familiar with. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about race, I think we have to be intentional and we have to understand that we're doing a disservice to the communities we serve. And I think right. schools, my perspective of schools is that is, is my same perspective of churches. Mm -hmm. Is that like. If you live in a diverse community, 
your congregation should be diverse, mm-hmm. right? But if, if if you're in a if you're in a community that's ninety percent, you know, Hispanic, then okay, yeah, you know, the church and the school is going to be ninety percent. That that's right, that's collective, you know. Um, and so I think that the people in position have to be aware, they have to be conscious of um, that natural stigma. Like I'm I, I'm right. well aware that I'm naturally going to gravitate towards a basketball player. Right, mm-hmm. I speak that language fluently. So as a result, as being an athletic director, now I have to be intentional. I'm going down my checkbox. I'm checking in with different people to make sure that I'm not favoring or choosing or bending towards right. basketball in any direction. And I think um, decision makers need to be this, do the same thing yeah. to make sure that, you know, because it, get, it's not like a knock on them, but let's yeah. be comfortable enough to have the conversation. Yeah. You're right. going to take towards who you, your people. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Because the conversations at, at the dinner table is going to be the same ones when you're walking down the hall. And that's what you right. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. So. I mean, I think and, go ahead. And, and, and I just wanted to kind of because it, I mean, as, as as leaders, we have to be very careful on how we how we do things like that. I mean, because a lot of times, you know, you want to you want to help your African-American male. You know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, we got to be very in. in careful on how we do that right and i understand exactly what he's saying because we have to be equitable because we talk about equity all the time but that's just not equitable equity for us we're talking about equity for everyone right and so and and it's almost as if we have to really like you said we get in these rooms and we get in in these spaces where like the space that we were in a couple weeks ago you know what i mean i saw him you know, what I mean, I saw John. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, John. There's one more. What's going on, John? How right. you doing, right? But I mean, but not saying that I didn't feel comfortable around those people, those spaces, because as athletes, we're it's diverse as athletes all the time. You know what I mean, we're we're playing with other other people of color, so sometimes it really doesn't look to us as athletes as something that other people see. Like, oh man, I don't, I don't feel comfortable hanging out with this person. I don't feel comfortable. It doesn't bother me at all. But it's so, but here's the thing. I mean, and I think us, you know, all three of us, I mean, I think we call, you know, of course we call it code switching, right? It's so, it can be done. It can be done. You gravitate towards someone who may have the same experience, whether it's athletics, whether it's a neighborhood you grew into, up into it's it's whether it is whatever whatever it may be, yeah. But yet you're mindful of others who don't look like you, yeah. And understanding that you know there are cultural needs that they have, yeah. And so it's just it's just being mindful um, of you know what I'm saying of the space yeah, that you're of in. the biases that you have because I yes. sat in a PD and it was a judge um, who gave the PD. Mm-hmm. And she was saying when she had different people and she needed to do a case and stuff, she was giving information in their training of how they make decisions. And rather, if it's a child, an adult, someone who's obese, a smile mm-hmm. of someone's face, um, um, African-American, um, I'm white or whatever, it automatically comes with a thought. Right? right. Let's not run away from that. Like, we can't run away. In fact, we're doing a disservice if we act like it doesn't exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. But. Um, so now, so knowing that, knowing how our brains are wired, now we have to be intentional to make sure that we treat. And she was saying, like, so as a judge, I got to be intentional to make sure I'm really treating that person in that case um, in and of itself 
and not have any attachment and you start by having the honest conversation and i think we find ourselves in positions where a lot of people they don't want to have those conversations right what, what do you mean i don't i don't see color Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh, I can't stand that. That is exactly. Let me say yes, you do. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the, the phrases that someone said to me a couple months ago. I'm just like, oh my God, mm -hmm. you just want to say, well, you just you told me, if yeah, you if you don't color, see color, you don't see me. You don't me. see me. You see me. Right? And, and that's the first that. thing you see when you see me. I mean, yeah. I can't hide it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but, but, oh, understanding that it's not, and I think, of course, the, the reason why oftentimes, People say that is because they think that if you say that, if you say that you are, you don't see color, that you're being racist or you're, yeah. no, no, no. You're just, you're, you are, um, you should, because there are some unique experiences. And so it, it's not something that um, I think oftentimes um, people mean because they're trying to be, you know what I mean? They're trying to be mean. They think that's the thing to say. So yeah, you, you just you're just mindful. We all have them. We all have our biases, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. again, I, you mentioned a PD you were in, and I had a really good PD a couple years ago, and the guy did it really cool. And it made and I didn't care who was in the room, you know what race you were. Mm -hmm. He made it very comfortable in saying, oftentimes what biases are is an overexposure to whatever position you, whatever space you are in, yeah. and so that is what comes to your mind. And yeah. so if you think. You're, if you're seeing something on TV and you see, you know, cops or whatever, you know, beating people down, and that's the thing you get in your head, whatever it is you see or whatever it's an overexposure, yeah. as I said, that's kind of where some of our biases come from. But yeah. of course, you have to know that that's your bias to be able to address that bias in your mind. So you're saying, I'm going to treat this person as I would anyone else. Yeah. So it, it's a process. Yeah. It's, a pro it's, a, it's a mindset. So, so. As we conclude, and I just want to kind of I always give our participants an, an opportunity to kind of because you, you said a lot, John, you said, you know, you were a foster, you were in foster care, mm -hmm. which is challenging in itself. And as as adults and we see students in foster care, usually those students never get out. You know what I mean? Usually they don't. You know what I mean? And so right. but it has to be something that, you know, besides you being a Christian man, you know, and, you know, now you're an author and you're a successful black man. You know, I, I give people an opportunity to give shout outs. To, and, and I know we all we we praise God every morning we get up and I know we do that. And I just want to give you an opportunity to share out. If there's anybody that you want to, you know, just, you know, just give them a shout out to go ahead. Get, we open it up. If you want to do an open, you know, you want to do another poem, you could do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, but we're just something that you we just close on and then we can go from there. Just let. But I give you that opportunity to do that. Yeah, um, I believe that, you know. Me getting here, you know, first and foremost, um, it's a blessing. And I understand the grace that was given to me uh, to be able to be in this position. Um, but I, my, my mom has been phenomenal, uh, you know, through this process. She said, like, when you talk about a prayer warrior, she's a prayer warrior. And um, all of her kids are in great position, regardless of the storms that we face. <clears throat> and I know, obviously, you know, grace of God, but just uh, 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 the prayer of a mother, the prayer of a parent, yeah. extremely, extremely powerful. Um, so my family, you know, my wife, my kids, everything we do, I understand legacy. Like, I believe that, um, and I would say this to people of color, but everybody, honestly, is what I'm about to say next, is that, like, right around COVID and different things happening, and I realized that, like, A, no day is promised, and we're a decision, a day, a health risk away from our positions being filled. 
And that's just the reality um, um, as educators, but in a lot of professions, like you're one bad circumstance away yeah. from your position being filled. And so uh, around COVID and realizing different things, um, I, w- I took the perspective of, right, whether it's the book, the authorship, like I really need to create and build things um, that I believe in, my brand, and partner yeah. alongside of my profession, right? And people talk talk about entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff. But as um, people of color, um, as educators, we have so much to give and to offer on our own right. And um, we're, 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 I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a commodity of the educational system. No, you're, you're a partner of the educational yeah. system. And you need to build and you need to create and build it on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's great for who you are and your brand and no one can take it away. Um, and I think a lot, and this is a whole masterclass in and of itself, right? But um, I think a lot of people of color, but just educators in general, I think they really should have that perspective of being bold enough and strong enough because it is going against the grain a little bit to really think that way. I'm going to yeah. develop my curriculum. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to do all these things. But um, so I appreciate and, and I enjoy both. I spoke at the African-American parent committee last week for the district. And uh, and that's what I shared yeah. with them, that I was so proud to be able to be in this space, to be rep- representing and speaking in front of young people, not like, hey, if you want to be an entrepreneur or hey, if you want but like, let me tell you what I'm doing right now. Mr. Broussard, yeah. Let me tell you the journey that I'm on, the successes and failures that I'm having with it. And you can do it as well, but you can just do it 20 years younger yeah. than I did it. So like, that's a blessing and it's an encouraging. So I would say to my um, ending note, what we say to all, you know, educators of color, understand who you are, the gift you have, the passion you have, and don't think that it's an extension to the person who hired you versus the person who gave you the gift and go and be and build that. Got it. Perfect. All right. So I want to thank you, Dr. Butler. I want to thank you, John Broussard. And as we close, I want to say thank you to our audience for tuning in to another episode of The Color of Leadership. But as we close, I want you guys to, I want our audience and I want Mr. Broussard to tell us what his book is again so that you guys can go out and purchase his book because I think it's going to be an amazing talk about both books before we close go ahead so the book is letters from an educator the child you didn't see that's book number one you're going to love it um and because the title is like um it is it is a double entendre in a way because a it's about my life but by reading it you're going to go back to your campus and say okay I'm the educator what am I not seeing about the child that's in front of me? And I want to see that in order to impact them the way that I want to impact them. So, so that, that's book number one. Book number two is Diary of a Poet. Both books are not on Amazon because Jeff Bezos has enough money already. 70% wasn't cool. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't cool with that split. So um, 3030publishing.com, 3030publishing, number 30, number 30, publishing.com. Uh, that's my website, publishing website. Um, and you can get the both books there. The, uh, the poetry book is on pre-order right now. And that's going to come out right around the holidays. All right. Perfect. So again, thank you guys. And that concludes our our last episode of The Color of Leadership. Everybody have a good one.